0: In this episode, we spoke with Sandra Pankhurst. She's the woman at the centre of the well-known book, The Trauma Cleaner. She starts out by reading the blurb of her book.
1: Before she was a trauma cleaner, Sandra Pankhurst was many things. Husband, father, drag queen, sex reassignment patient, sex worker, businesswoman and a trophy wife but as a little boy raised in violence and excluded from the family home, she just wanted to belong. Now she believes she deserves no less. I was a bit intimidated by that at first, but then my business brain came in and said, it'll sell like hotcakes.
2: I'm Jason.
1: And I'm Maddie.
2: And this is Making Sense of Chaos.
0: A podcast about death, and dying love, grief, and hope.
2: On our show, we talk to all kinds of people who, through various trajectories, have found themselves trying to explain the unexplainable.
0: Trying to accept the unacceptable.
2: Trying to make sense of chaos.
0: Jason, do you want to give the listeners some context about how we actually got in touch with Sandra in the first place?
2: Well, yeah, so a um, bit of context before we get into the, to, I suppose, the questions and the curiosity side is um, I'm the son of, um, I'm the partner, the son <laughs> I'm a partner of Renee, and uh, Renee's mother is Kim, who was, I believe, one of the employees yes. of December. My business, yep. Yeah. And uh, she recently, um, she called me, and she, she was quite frantic, and she said that um, she saw you at the shops. Yes. And um, she uh, she was also on a podcast previously, and she mentioned that you, um, you know, are doing podcasts in the past. And that um, our podcast and your story would be a good match, and you know you were lovely. We basically messaged each other and decided to meet you at your lovely place. And um, I think that uh, hearing you, Mm. it sort of leaves us feeling, um, you know, quite overwhelmed in Mm. some sense.
1: And I also make every podcast different. And I also said, "Never be afraid," Mm. you know, because like. I did this um, tour with Michelle Laurie and um, we're at the St Kilda Town Hall (coughs) and um, anyhow, one of the questions I posed that no one ever asked is that, like, what was your first sexual experience would you have the sex change? Mm. And um, Michelle asked the question, of course, and I said, fucking hideous. Mm. And she said, oh, so you're a real woman then? And I said, I think so. I said every first experience is pretty damning. And um, I said because I had to use glass dilators to stretch myself to be enough to be uh, to be able to take a man because you've got to create that space inside you. And um, anyhow, I said so. You're thinking about forming yourself into a a um a normal vagina and blah, 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 blah. When the time comes, is it going to be right? How are you going to feel and all this sort of stuff? Well, it took a little while. The first time was quite, you know, freaking absolutely freaky. But it was a few years later before I had my first orgasmic experience, which shows me that, you know, we're really just a mechanist that we can be put together whatever way we want and we can experience whatever we want. So, yes, I have had um, orgasmic experiences, and which are quite amazing. But now, at 70, I don't bother with sex at so all. I'm too fucking old for it. And I don't have the energy or the the breathing uh, ability to be able to have a good sexual life. So I'm quite happy just in myself. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, um... That answers the sexual question.
0: Mm, We've got that one out early. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, I guess sex and death is a big part of our podcast because they're very linked. Yes. And you started working at a funeral home at quite a young age. How did that come about? What what was the fascination and the draw for you to work in a place like that? For
1: me, it was the chance to help people transition from grief to normality Mm. and I looked at um, having a funeral was to me like running a play and you had to get people to and up there where they're all emotional and feeling part of the, the service and feeling part of their life story and being able to be emotional that they could then get back on with their life because a lot of people can't um, reach the crescendo, and then they they fob and foil for the rest of their life. They're up and down, yeah. and they can't come to terms with it. So I think the key for a good funeral director is to be able to get the emotion out in people and make them feel that they can release that emotion and get on it's with like their life. It's like an orgasm in a way. Pardon? It's like an orgasm. It is, really. Well, it's, it's, it's releasing all the pent-up yeah. um, anxiety or the yeah. the the... Regrets, maybe, that one might have Mm. in life, or that because everyone really gets together for a funeral to um, show their support, their love, or whatever. But some people do have a guilty conscience, Mm. you know, and everyone that's dead is a fabulous person. Well, let me tell you, not everyone dead is a fabulous did person. Did you ever
0: see, because I've often thought that too, that you you never see someone speak badly about their relative that has died. No. Did you ever see like a um, a speech that someone made where they actually did speak badly about never, the person?
1: Never, never. And people wouldn't do it because it would be frowned upon. Yeah. It would be, um, you know, not acceptable in yeah. a community standard. They might do that privately behind their back or whatever because yeah. they haven't got the guts to be a human.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but most people yeah. are fabulous people when they die. Yeah. But it's not true. It's not true.
0: What were um, the common themes that you saw when people spoke about the dead person?
1: Um, oh, they're always very kind and they're very nice and yeah. they're a good citizen. and It's yeah. the common shit. Yeah. You know, But reading over the common shit... Is not really, you can see in their eyes, you can see in their facial expression, that they're holding back, you know?
3: Yeah.
1: And like we used to have at one stage there, I worked in a very reputable funeral home, which I won't mention at the moment, but they have we had this, um, uh, cele- uh, oh, the, what do you call this? celebration Celebrate yeah, the celebrant. Couldn't get my word out. Yeah. and um, he used to go and look at porn magazines and have a wank to give him the strength to ceremony. <laughs> and kid. I think to myself, <laughs> my Godfather, you're getting paid good money to have a wank and look at raunchy photos to give you the guts to go and talk about people. Uh. That's quite amazing.
0: Mm. Was it boredom? Do you think he was bored of the...
1: I think he used to give him if I could get up and go or something. Mm. I don't know why he did it, but that was his thing, to be able to do that so he could go out and face everyone.
3: Mm.
1: But it's bizarre.
2: Bizarre, Bizarre, Mm. as far as I'm concerned. And then how did that lead on to the trauma cleaning? Oh, the trauma
1: cleaning, I could see the need that the police, fire brigade and ambulance weren't going to do the clean-up Mm. and then left a market there. But I was so up myself at the time that I didn't think that I would do such a thing. But out of adversity and losing the hardware store and losing our homes, our cars and everything because we wanted to do the right thing, we had to start from scratch. And this is the only way I could do it. So we took the first job on. As I said, it was really challenging and it wasn't what I was used to. And um, it took me a couple of months to come to terms with it. But, you know, adversity makes you do some amazing things. And in hindsight, you know, that my lung condition now is a result of that because I worked day and night and never said no to a job. And so I was breathing in these chemicals all the time in a high-ass fan. <coughs> and subsequently, they got chemical burn on my lungs. And subsequently, I'm suffering now. So I'm really big into OHS and all the proper equipment and everything like that. And all I say to my staff is, do you want to end up like me? And they'll go, no, thanks. Mm, <laughs> no, thanks. So, you know, that's a good enough excuse. So I'm really, really heavy on um, oh and and the equipment that my staff use now. Mm. You know, so... Um,
0: and what about in terms of the hiring process of those staff? How did that work?
1: The hiring process is an interesting process because we don't just want workers. We want people with our catch cries care compassion and dignity and our motto is excellence is no accident and so we have to have people that have seen some struggles in their life so they can be compassionate and understanding and work with people on a an open book type relationship and i constantly get remarked on how good my staff are and i go yeah i know <laughs> oh, no, i'm blessed yeah I'm blessed to have my staff are because they're very, very good with the clients because they've been through troubles of their own. Mm. So having people from the school of hard knocks Mm. makes life in my business better. And so, you know, I'm very blessed in that respect. Mm.
0: Maybe, um, Sandra, to give our listeners a bit of um, a picture of what it actually looks like. When you're on a job, can you describe the atmosphere? Um, you know, are, are your workers talking to each other? The smell, the sights. What's what's a? Bit are
1: we talking about a trauma? Are we talking about um, squalor or hoarding? Um, what are we talking about?
2: I think I'm, I'm quite interested in a suicide, or quite a. Um, I'm an ex police officer, so. Um, a, trauma, a murder, a homicide, something that's quite well, gruesome. All right,
1: I'll give you an example of one particular job that we did because I'm not really allowed to talk about this because we work for the Department of Justice. <coughs> but we had a job in the country <coughs> where a gentleman had shot his wife and then shot himself. And the kids were terribly distressed, terribly distressed. And they wanted to go into the house and um, see where it had happened and all this and I said, no, 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 can't possibly, can't possibly. Why, 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 it's our right to see our, where our parents died, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, tell me a story. I said, um, did your parents love you? Oh, yes, and we love them. We, we love them like there's no tomorrow, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, then tell me how would you feel, how do you think they would feel knowing this is a murder-suicide of how you would feel seeing this now, knowing how much they loved you. Oh, they would hate it, they would hate it. I said, there's my point exactly. I said, they want you to have good memories of them, not bad memories. I said, look, I can show you the place where they died, but I'm going to go to your linen press and I'm going to get linen and put all over the scene. I'm going to have a staff member on every corner holding it down. I said, if you dare lift those sheets, I said, I'll have you thrown out of the house immediately. Mm -hmm. Because it's my job to make sure that you leave here in a better condition than what you Mm -hmm. come in. Because you're all full of anxiety, you're all full of threat and fear and everything in the unknown. I said, but it's my job to make sure that your mental health is in a better situation than when you come I said, so I'm prepared to show you what's going on. I said, but I'm not prepared to damage you in any shape or form. So if you can abide by those rules, I'll take you in and show you where your parents died. And they said, okay, okay. So anyhow, they come in, it was all covered, no blood to be seen or anything, and it was right in the central part of the house. (coughs) So anyhow, the... (laughs) <laughs> they'd seen the sight they were weeping and wailing like crazy and um, anyhow they said to me oh look thank you for letting us see that that's really all we needed to see we couldn't have seen the other it would have been too destructive as you said but um, we need to get into the ensuite because there's a special hiding spot where all the money and the jewellery were kept I said that's fine I said, I'll lead you in and you go in and do what you need to do. I don't need to know anything there. That's beyond my pay grade. Um, You just go in there, but I cannot let you back into this scene because we need to get moving. We're holding the police up (laughs) and we're taking a long time because it's taken an hour and a half to get them to that stage. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I sort of feel like we're not just cleaners. We're not psychiatrists. But we're a mixture of both. Do you know what I mean? And that, to me, is part of the job that I Mm. love—in getting people to move on from the the shitty situation they're in to a better situation. So that's why I love the job. Mm. So, and it's getting people that understand that and can deal with that that um, make the job easier,
3: Mm. you know. And
1: I'm very blessed, touch wood, that I have staff that do that. You know. so um, but with hoarding, it's a different ball game altogether. You know, we got people with mental health issues, and they're living in absolute diabolical straits. Like we've had um, teachers that live in a particular property, high you know, high life area, shall we say, and um, living normal jobs and everything like that, but living like. What the fuck happened here? And you could climb up to get over the mountain of shit that's in the apartment. (coughs) The walls and the ceilings are black marked from staying themselves to get over to the other side of the room. You know, and how they treat themselves as diabolical because they might sleep on that much of a mattress Mm. that's rotted out and... The springs are showing through and it's full of cigarette butt and all that. They don't give themselves any sort of quality of life, you know. But once it's cleaned up, they see a different side of life. Mm. And this can be quite burdensome on them in having to live like this.
0: What do you think the psychology of someone who's let that happen to their life, what's going on?
1: They've had a trauma of some sort that's affected them. Mm. And it's getting to know their trauma and getting to talk to them mm. that we can bring that trauma out, but some people won't allow you to meet them mm. because they've got a high position in a job or something like that, and they'll let the landlord or whoever deal with us rather than them deal with us with the problem mm. you know so it's such and it's a very sad situation too because like we've had many families come to us and they're just devastated that this is how their parents lived or their mother lived or their father lived but the fact of the matter is they become so cunning that um oh mum we're picking you up for lunch on sunday i'll meet you down the road because i've got a little errand i've got to do and then walking back home on, mum we'll give you a drive home no the doctor said to me i must walk And I've got another little errand I want to do and pop in and see Mrs. So-and-so. So Mm -hmm. So they become very cunning. And then when they die, they become overwhelmed that their parents or their main person live like this. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, no, they were happy. Let them live in their happiness. It might be not how you and I like to live, but the fact of the matter is they were happy in that situation. It gave them something that they wanted And they knew that you would not accept it. So we have to accept them to be different as we are different. You know, not everyone's the same. You know, we can go to VCAT and VCAT will say, no, it's their choice to live how they want to live. Mm. But it's not necessarily right either because neighbours and everything can be infected by rats and cockroaches and the like do you know what I mean mm. so as a neighbour you would not be a happy camper
3: mm.
1: yeah.
2: yeah. I'm interested in just changing the sort of still the death topic how, how you view your own, you, uh, your own death I don't
1: care I don't care about dying mm. dying's just another stage I've donated my body to science my estate goes to the Melbourne University to educate kids that can't afford to be educated mm. um, so when I go I go But I've still got lots to do. I don't want to go just yet. So I'm always striving to live. But if I happen to die tomorrow, so be it.
0: I'm interested, um, Sandra, because you've seen humans at every spectrum of horror. (laughs) Have you sort of learnt anything or picked up any interesting insights about the way we act when we're in... You know the worst possible shock the worst possible
1: pain Um, Look, people can react with whatever way they want it's not necessarily how I would react but we're all entitled to be different and we're all entitled to react how we need to react at the time so we can't who am I to judge you or you to say oh you can't react like that Mm. you know, look at Azaria Chamberlain for example we all acted upon how oh how could she be so cold how could she do this mm. but that's the way she handled it do you know what I mean she's a very strong woman we we don't have a right to challenge anyone do you know what I mean we we have to accept that this is how they deal with their problems as I deal with mine in a different way do you know what I mean and mm. if I've got real problems you'll find that I'm a little bit I'm not on the scene I'm not seen by anyone I need to think this through I need to sort this out before I can venture back into life
3: mm.
1: you know, because if people say how are you I'm not going to tell them a load of bullshit mm. Mm. I'm just going to wait till I've sorted myself and then I can say yeah I'm pretty good I'm fine you know. so it's a matter of being able to accept things yourself and, and look at the lesson that life is teaching you at the time which sometimes can be quite hard to do but you need to listen to that lesson in life to be able to enrich yourself and go further
0: Mm. So you would say there's no um, sort of commonalities in the way that you see people react. It's just complete randomness. And there's, no, everyone's different. There's no way of predicting. There's, no. Mm. Because
1: the minute you put a label on it, mm. that's your expectation. Mm. That's not their expectation. Mm. Mm. Mm.
0: Because you you have to work with that randomness. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
1: And that's the challenge of being mm. able to be you know, one step ahead of people to be able to help them through their mm. Achilles heel moment. Mm.
3: Mm.
1: So mm. it's not for me to judge, it's not for me to say, it's for me to help them through. That's where I, as a human being, feel I'm best.
3: Mm.
2: Mm. Do you ever feel you can't do that? Pardon? Do you ever feel you can't do that? No, I never say no.
0: What is helping them through that, though?
1: It's getting them into the next stage. Like we had an example of a woman that didn't want us because she was a, a hoarder. But also she had a few, you know, a couple of sandwiches short of a picnic, so to speak, mm-hmm. if I could say. Mm-hmm. And she had um, an incident happen where she'd had a sewerage overflow and the place had flooded and then she had more sewage overflows. But she didn't know how to organise maintenance to come in and have a look at her property and all this. So anyhow, the government had asked us to come in and look after this person and clean the place up. So it was quite a challenge to get into the property. She was very rude and didn't want our help in any shape or form. Anyhow, we got part way through the job and then we realised it was just riddled in black mould. And so it was had to be condemned. The property had to be condemned or gutted out and rebuilt and all this sort of stuff. So we called the government in and the government said, yep, this is no go. So they put her, she hated our guts, hated our guts. But she couldn't see her daughters, she couldn't see her grandchildren or anything. Not that they. she could see them anyhow because of the condition the place was in. So anyhow, they put her into a retirement village situation to um, see how she would go. Six months later, we got a call back and we said, and she said that she can't thank us enough for helping her. She thought she was dying, which she probably was with all the mould. Um, she's got her children and her grandchildren back in her life. She's much happier than she's ever been. And she's sorry for all the trouble she caused and being such a bitter and twisted person in the beginning. Wow. So, you know, like some people don't want the help. But in hindsight, they can see that it's the best thing that's ever happened to them. Mm. So it's look, looking at your incidences in life and realising what you can learn from and what you can't learn from. You know, I'm pretty fucking lucky. I'm very lucky. You know, I've had lots of challenges in life, but the challenges have made me the good person I am now. And I can say that I am a good person. You know, I spend a lot of my time doing charity work, which was cut down because of COVID. Um, But, you know, no doubt it'll come back and I'll get into it full stream ahead. Do you know? So, life can be good. You just got to make it good.
3: Mm. Mm.
0: What do you think is the point of it all at the end of the day? What's the point? Learning
1: lessons. Learning lessons. Otherwise, I believe in a karmic world mm-hmm. and that if you don't learn your lessons this time around, you have to come back again and learn them. And they're even harder. So learning your lessons this time around will give you peace and harmony to move on to the next plane and not have to learn more lessons.
0: Hmm. you think you've learnt your lessons?
1: I hope so. Mm. Because at the moment I feel like I've run over 50 million fucking (laughs) (laughs) Chinamen. Because I've had one hell of a lot to deal with. But But, um, I think, yeah, no, I'm quite happy with myself and quite happy with life and I think if you can achieve a happiness within yourself and not relying on other people to give you that happiness as where true happiness is.
2: What's been your darkest time? Pardon? What's been your darkest time?
1: The darkest time probably would be uh, when I couldn't get a job just before I got the funeral director's job And I was elated when I got that job. How
0: old were you
1: then? Oh, I can't remember because I haven't got a good memory now. Um, but probably under 30, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Around 30, maybe. I was Ah! desperate for a job. Excuse me? (laughs) Will that be enough? Thank you. Thank you. That's enough. And, um... Uh, I desperately, desperately, desperately wanted this job because I was about to be evicted and everything like that. And mm. I hassled them big time, and I finally got it. So never give up, never give up. Because mm. mm. I thought, where the fuck am I going to go? Where am I going to put all my shit? You know. But anyhow, you just push and push and push, and you'll get what you want. Usually, just got to believe in yourself.
2: Mm. So that was your darkest time because of the unknown? What, 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 what about I it? I think maybe? the
1: darkest time because I didn't know where I was going to go, what I was going to do, or how I was going to support myself. Right. Okay. And I thought, I, I felt that there wasn't anything in the offering for me. And like when there's nothing in the offering, where do you go? What do you do? And I'm not the person to ask for help. Right. I have to do it myself. Right. So that was dark for me, mm. very dark. Mm.
2: And how did that compare to your, your childhood experiences?
1: Oh, that was just another lump, hump yeah. in the road, you know. As a child, you don't um, you don't um, see anything bad. You only want to see good mm. because we all just want to belong. We all just want to love, be loved. And you think you're going to get it, but it, it becomes... Insurmountable at, after a time, you know, and then you know you have to move on to another plane, mm. you know. But as a child, you're full of um, uh, optimism and Hope, yeah. you know, yeah, and you just think that it'll yeah, come, yeah. it'll come, you yeah. know.
2: Do, do you see some similarities between the way you are now as a child? Because you're very optimistic now, you're very positive thinking, future thinking. It sounds it's very much the same experiences.
1: I think I'm a better person for the letters, lessons I've learned. Mm. I don't think I had those um, um, opportunities to appreciate life or appreciate anything then because I was struggling to be loved mm. and struggling to be wanted um, and struggling to be normal.
3: Mm.
1: And so it seemed like a, a rough ask. But um, I think in hindsight, it wasn't such a rough ass because I've achieved it in my own right, not relying on anyone else. Mm.
0: Yeah, I like what you were saying earlier about the cycles. The life is, life, full life cycles. is full of cycles. full of cycles. Yeah.
1: You'll have a bad yeah. experience, you'll have a good experience. Yeah. It just goes on. Nothing lasts forever. And if you keep that in mind, that this is only temporary, you can handle anything.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess the the trouble is for people to actually understand that, that it is only temporary This is
1: why we need to get the word out and talk to people and realise that, you know, yes something might happen This is where the young kids today worry me because they don't come to the school of hard knocks They don't have, everyone wins a prize Uh, Everyone, oh this is STC services Oh,
0: you get, get it, yeah
1: Good afternoon, STC Services.
0: Sandra speaking. So here Sandra gets a call from her trauma cleaning business, STD Services. Um, We cut the call out for confidentiality.
1: Just like that. Job done. So, um, yeah, so there you go. Mm. Now, how
2: many of them did you get a day at the moment?
1: Oh, it depends. They're up and down like a bride's nightie. You know, it depends on who. We've got probably about 30 police stations that we look after. Right, okay. And the Department of Justice, NDIS, all the different community groups. So, you know, most of the work is during the week, but these are after-call hours because we work for the big police and mm. Department of Justice, so they're the only outside calls that we get, unless it's a private job. Right. You know.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, I thought it was like where we, we
0: were so you're saying about kids aren't experiencing
1: those no, knocks. kids don't experience life and like you know they have their first lover and they want to suicide like get a grip you know, mm. like toughen up sweetheart, life is going to be full of challenges and until you can face those challenges you're going to have a life of mystery mm. you know, like I just don't understand it Mm. You know, as if I'd want to kill myself because someone didn't like me. Fuck off.
2: Mm.
1: You know, you don't like me. It's your fucking
2: problem. Mm. What What about the, the the I suppose the young adolescents or even even younger that are thinking about transitioning? Um, look,
1: I have a real problem with young young kids transitioning um, because I started transitioning. You know, later in life, I was married, I had two children. And etc. Blah blah blah. Um, I think that I didn't know what I was going through at the time, um, and I think young people now have this thing that if I have the change, my life is going to give me the picket fence. It's going to give me the love. It's going to give me. It's going to give you absolutely nothing except more comfort in your body. So you've got to decide whether you can weather the storm, whether you can go to work, whether you can make a living for yourself, whether you can make yourself happy in the first instance without relying on someone else. And I think a lot of them don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the parents sort of think they want to make them kids famous, so they sort of come on board to help them out. It's not necessarily the answer. They have to have life experience before they can make these life-changing decisions. Mm-hmm. So I sort of think, I'm not really into the really young people, even though I look at some of the younger ones now that are transitioning, they're just beautiful. They're just beautiful, you know. And I think, oh, by the grace of God, you know, but I'm happy I went the way I went. You know what I mean? I've lived a bit of life. I had children and everything like that. Um, And I learned to accept where I fit in the world. You know, whereas a lot of these young ones have an opinion of how they're going to fit into the world without any experience. And then, like, when I went for my operation, the Queen Vic Hospital, um, they said to me, I went through the first stage, then I went through the second stage, and I said to them, how can I thank you for what you've done to me? I oh, don't be back in here, like, in three months' time, like your rest of your mates suiciding. Mm. And I thought, there's no way now I'm going to do that. Mm. No way in God's name.
0: It's a really high suicide rate, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Do and the young not... ones have a very high suicide rate too. Yeah. So I think... I don't know whether what they're doing or how they're organising these young people to have this high amount of suicide yeah. rate. I think we need to question what they're doing.
0: Uh, do you think there's too much of a push in society to know where you sit, to know who you are, to have all those questions figured out
1: yeah at such a young age you yeah. don't have the answers you're not equipped to have those yeah. answers mm. yeah
0: yeah 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 and i guess like individualist society it's that real focus on knowing who you are yeah and there's there's a danger in that as well because um, it, yeah, it could send you to all kinds of kind of pretty scary paths If you're not equipped to handle the answers and not equipped to figure it out,
2: it leaves you exposed, doesn't it? When things do really get the fan.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And some people aren't strong enough to handle it. Yeah. Mm.
0: Did you have any more questions before we finish up, Jace?
2: Not at this stage. I feel like I don't want to go too much over the, the time yeah um there's nothing, there's nothing there's nothing pending
0: do you have any questions <laughs> do you have anything you want to no. tell listeners and you know keeping it a lot of the audiences uh, police members psychologists people who work in mental health is there anything you want to put out there
1: um no, but if they have any questions, they're more than welcome to contact me on Sandra P at stcservices.com.au, dot com mm. dot au, and I'll try and give them an answer, or um, they're welcome to meet up with me and have a talk through things or whatever. At any stage, I'm a very open book. I don't sort of hide anything. I'm a straight shooter. So if there's anything you want to know or talk about, I'm here. You know. Beautiful.
0: Great.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, you've been wonderful, Sandra.
1: Thank you, thank you.
2: And um, Shall I make us a cuppa? You sure. A tea or coffee?
0: <laughs> uh, coffee would be great. Coffee? Coffee, yeah. please. coffee. That was Making Sense of Chaos.
2: A podcast about death, dying, love, grief, and hope.
0: Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.